Be seated. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to First Peter. The food is being cooked and put out. And uh, as soon as I'm done and we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to take the real Lord's Supper. OK, um, one of the things that we felt convicted over um, of in the last few months is the, the fact that what we do up here is awesome and great and solemn and helps us to remember. But um, it's just not what the Lord's Supper is meant to be. This and please don't take offense to this, but this little piece of bread and this little bit of juice was never the design. The design was to share together as one body, one people who have been made new. This was not the design. They didn't have really shiny things back then when they did it. They would come and bring food. And that's what you guys have done. You brought food. If you didn't bring food today, that's all right. There'll be plenty for you. Just come back and eat with us. And we want to fellowship in the Lord today after we hear from his word and we hear and we feed on his word today. So um, one of the things is we're going through and we finish up this series on the real heaven is we've been going through this series looking at heaven according to scripture, not heaven according to somebody's idea, not heaven according to somebody's story, not heaven according to some movie, not having uh, heaven according to man's idea of what um, this place is going to be like. But instead, looking to scripture to find out what our God says his dwelling place is like and our future dwelling place is like. And so one of the distinctions that we've made is that there is a place we go when we die. But even then, we're waiting for that day when we get new bodies and that new heavens and new earth. And that's going to be the place of no more tears. There's going to be no more pain. There's not going to be any more sickness or sin or sorrow. It's all going to be dealt with. Jesus is going to deal with it fully and finally at the throne. He is going to judge the living and the dead. And there's going to be a time then when we are really, really home. And that's the theme that we've kind of been carrying through is this idea that heaven is our real home. Where we are today is not home. Where we are today is just the place where God is doing great work among us. But he is making all things new in Christ. And ultimately, he is going to succeed in his plan. So no matter today, if you come in with all of the frustrations of the world or looking at the world and how it just seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, I have news for you. It is. And it doesn't need the handbasket. Okay. The, the world is going and we can chuckle if we want to. But the fact of the matter is we have a job to do. We have a tendency to look at this world and say, whatever's going on in this world is indicative of what reality is. I want you to know our God sits on a throne. Last week we said that we will gather around their throne and we will say salvation belongs to the one who sits on the throne, right? And he sits on the throne right now. So no matter who seems to be in charge, he is in charge. Real reality is heaven. We're waiting for real reality. So what we tend to do is we tend to look at our world today and we think this is what matters. And there's a lot of stuff that matters here, folks. But it's usually not the stuff we're spending our time on. It's usually not the stuff we're spending our energy on. It's usually not the time we're worrying, the stuff we're worrying about. There is something greater. And I think our passage today deals with the two truths that all of creation and all of time and all of our existence hinges upon. What is the deal with today if heaven is real reality? 
How do we deal with today? And I think there are two things, and I'm just going to put them out there to you right now. There are two things that the world neglects, and the way we can tell the world neglects these two things is all you have to do is look at movies and look at books and look at our newspaper and look at everything else that you see um, and see how these two things are neglected or belittled or put to the side. We as believers have to get back to these two things. And if we'll get back to these two things, then we will be living as people who are longing for real home. Okay? And these are the two things. The glory of God in all things and the salvation of souls. And in our passage today, if we will get back to those two things, we will be living as those who don't count this place as our home. That's what I want for you. That's the whole goal of this series. It's not just so that you wouldn't go read a book with a yellow cover on it. It's and what you wouldn't need to see a movie. The goal of this is that you would not count this place as your home. anymore. This week has been a tough week for me as just personally, it's been a tough week for me. Um, I seem to have more of those than I have easy weeks. I don't know if you're like me, but that seems to be the case and more tough weeks than easy weeks. The fact of the matter is, I can say that um, the things that are going on this week, they matter. But they only matter in light of real reality. They don't matter if, just because I say they matter. They matter because there are eternal significance to those things. And, and I want you to know that you can enjoy this world, but only in so much as you enjoy Christ. Christ has to be your real joy. And that's when we'll start living as if we're people... We're living for another land. So I want you to turn in First Peter chapter 2. I want you to follow along as I read from verse 9. I want you to see this. And there's a great truth that I think we see here that we've got to get right. We've made our existence here a lot about activity and what we're doing. Whereas scripture seems to spend a lot more time talking about our identity over our activity. That our activity is always going to flow from who we are. So I want you to know if you were to walk out of here with one thing today, it's you, your eternal security is not wrapped up in what you do. It's wrapped up in who you are in Christ. I want you to know that. I want you to know that home in heaven is not wrapped up in what you do. Home in heaven is wrapped up in who Christ is and who you are in him. So identity becomes really important. And I think Peter tells us this in chapter two of first Peter, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession I don't want you to just see that. Just stop right there. Notice what he did. He not one time talks about you are supposed to do this. He camps out on you are these people. This is what God has done. This is who you are. And look at the descriptive words. Look at how he describes us as the people of God, a chosen race. You want to take race out of the picture, put Christ in the picture. He's made a new race of people so that people from every tribe, tongue and people group and nation can gather around as a new chosen race. He has brought people from every nation, every skin color, every ethnicity, and he's bringing them into his family and he's making a new race. So you want to deal with racism, you got to deal with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm making a new race. And I want us to understand that. That we are one in him. Look at what else he says. He says a royal 
priesthood. You know, as a pastor, it's really interesting. Uh, people may not understand a little bit of what I do. They may think that what I do is just what you see up here. And uh, that's fine. That doesn't bother me one bit. Uh, people may not understand what my job is, and I'm okay with that. Let me give you an indicator, and I think this is probably the closest thing on the planet to what a pastor does. And that's a teacher in a public school. Okay, this is what I've noticed about teachers in public schools. Okay, first of all, I have two kids. I don't want 22 kids. And they have 22 kids. So they have 22 kids, like, all day, right? Whereas I get my kids in the morning, I get my kids in the afternoon, and then I put them to bed and send them back to those teachers the next day, right? So, like, here's the deal. There's, like, they have 22 kids, and every year they get a new 22 kids. That they're supposed to love and care for. And they're supposed to pour their lives into. And they're supposed to spend all their time thinking about. And if you're a believer, praying for. They're supposed to invest in these kids and in their families. And every year it's a new group. And here, here's another thing I've noticed. This is what happens with me as a pastor. It's especially after VBS because the kids come in every day and they see me every day. And I act like a fool and they give in high fives and we're having a blast. And then I go to Walmart like a week later. And I run into one of those kids and they just stand there and they look at me with this bewildered look on their face. Like, you go to Walmart? You're Pastor Brad. You go to Walmart? I didn't know you ever left the church. It's the same with teachers, isn't it? You run into Walmart or Food Line and one of your students sees you and they go, wait a minute. You leave the school? See, they, they assume that our... Job is all that we are. And I want you to know this. This is, this is something I've learned as well. In some ways, it's true. In some ways, it's true. Our jobs are who we are. What we do is based very much on an identity that we have. And I think that's where pastors and teachers come into play and really can, uh, can deal with one another and understand each other a little bit. So looking at Carol over here, and the fact of the matter is, I know that Carol doesn't just work while she's at the school. She has to grade papers. She's a teacher. And when you see one of these kids at Food Lion or at Walmart, you have to be Miss Beach. You can't be Carol. And that's just the way it works. I have to be Pastor Brad, not just Brad. And there's a reality that our identity is very much wrapped up in what we do. And our identity is very much going to be shown in the community at all times. I want you to see something about what we're called here. Look at what we're called. A royal priesthood. Part of our identity is you're all pastors of some sort. We all have access to the very throne room of God because of our chief high priest. Look at, look at what we're told. We're told we're a royal priesthood. You don't live your life in Christ through me. You have access to the Father because of Jesus. And I feel like sometimes what we miss out on is we think, okay, well, the church has a, has a program set up, so if I'll just do that program through the church, then I'll be accomplishing the things I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian when all Peter wants us to understand is there's an identity here. You have access to the Father because of Jesus. The sacrifice has been made for you so that you can go in and boldly come before the throne of God. You have 
hear me, you have access to the Father. You have just as much access to the Father as I do. You have just as much access to the Father as I do. And that's an identity thing. That's something God has supplied you. It's not something you earned. It's not something you go to school for. It's what God has supplied for you. That you have access to the Father. We're a holy nation. This week we're going to celebrate my birthday. Right? I'm going to be 39. I think that's the only thing happening that day, right? Is that the only thing happening that day? I don't remember. Um, so, <laughs> and, uh, so there's going to be... It's going to be, oh, we're celebrating our independence. Is that what it is? Okay. I wonder how many of us as believers understand that we are a new nation. That's not to say we don't celebrate patriotically. I don't be out there celebrating patriotically as well. It's not to say we don't support our nation and love our country. This is, this is home while we're here. and Patriotism just reminds us that we long for home. And that's great. That's fantastic. I have no problem with that. I just wonder how many of us remember that this isn't home, ultimately. And this isn't our nation, ultimately, as believers. That where you're buried does not determine where you're going. What country you die in or die for does not determine where you're going. But our Kingdom is a different nation. And so I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate Tuesday as the U.S. beats Belgium in the World Cup because it's all about patriotism. I'm going to celebrate Belgium is a better team. It would make more sense to actually cheer for them. But I'm going to cheer for the U.S. I've got the jersey. I'll put it on. I'll yell and scream. You've been to my house during one of the soccer matches. You know I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm going to have fun. and I'm going to celebrate every goal and I'm going to be devastated every time we lose. It's just the way it's going to work. Patriotism makes sense to me. It absolutely makes sense to me, but it is not the end all be all. So this week, celebrate our nation. But I, I, I ask you to do this. And this is what um, this is. I, I have this great thing and I, I would love to print some of these out for you and I'd be willing to do it. But Donald Barnhouse wrote this thing. He said it was written in 1976 at the Bicentennial. And it was a reminder to believers in the United States that we are not independent. Our nation may be independent, but as members of this new kingdom, this new nation, as citizens of this new nation, everything we are is dependent. So as we celebrate our independence as a nation, remember our dependence on the Lord. That when we begin to understand our dependence, we understand what it is to be set free. I want you to understand that you are not independent But you have been placed under the dependence of Jesus Christ. He puts it this way. Let every Christian remember again that our whole existence centers in the fact that we have come to Jesus Christ and declared not our independence, but we've declared our dependence. Out of that dependence has come a freedom and liberty that the unsaved man can never know. We have the liberty of sonship. 
We are sons and daughters of God. We have the liberty of truth. We have been set free by the truth, the truth who is Jesus Christ. We have the liberty of worship. We get to worship appropriately and in a pleasing way to God as someone outside of Jesus never could. We have the liberty of love and of service. We're able to give of ourselves freely, knowing that there's a great reward that's coming. So whatever we lose here, we gain so much more. So all of our relationships toward God, toward our own psychological being, toward all men have become right relationships. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not forget that independence is what got us into this mess in the first place. When Adam and Eve said, we can go this our own way. Independence got us into this mess in the first place. We are declaring as believers that we are dependent on God. Continue reading. It says a holy nation, a people of his own possession. We belong to him. And look at this. Then he moves to. So this is who you are. And this is why God has done this. Look at what he says. This is the reason you've been made into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In verse 10, he's going to say you once were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you didn't receive mercy, now you have received mercy. All of that has happened for this one purpose. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You exist as a believer. You are here right now. You are here and not in heaven around the throne, enjoying heaven right now. You're here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you can't just do that on Sunday. It's not possible to truly proclaim his excellencies because an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning is not enough time to proclaim just how excellent he is. It's not possible to proclaim how excellent Jesus is in an hour and 15 minutes. Impossible. It's impossible to do it in eternity. That's why we're going to keep doing it. And so if we're going to be people who say, I long for heaven... And I long for being there with Jesus. I ask you, how does that change today? What are we going to be doing in heaven? Proclaiming the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's get some practice. Let's get some practice now. Proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want you to see this. Okay, look at verse 11. Everybody just look at verse 11. You can underline verse 11. I want you to underline two words in there that describe who you are in the world today. If you are truly of this new nation, this new priesthood and this new race, there's two words that describe us in verse 11 that determine who we are today in this world. And this is what Peter tells us, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Not citizens. Outsiders. Sojourners and exiles We're visitors We're outsiders coming through. So I ask you. If 
heaven is your home, why do we keep acting like this place has such a hold on us? Why are we so concerned with the hold that this place has on us? I urge you as sojourners and exiles. There are other places in Scripture that deal with this same philosophy. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. So you are no longer strangers and aliens. We were strangers and aliens from God because we were of the world. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we once were of the world in the world and we were citizens there and he's taken us out of that citizenship and made us citizens of heaven of the household of God and so now we are strangers and exiles and sojourners on earth we used to look at this place as home but if we're in Christ and we're a new nation and we're a royal priesthood and we're everything he claims we are and this place just a place that we're passing through Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21, tells us our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you awaiting your Savior? So how are you marked out as a citizen of heaven if we live as if, first and foremost, we're citizens of this earth? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Look, look back at First Peter chapter 2. I urge you, this is a longing of His heart that He is willing to put Himself on the line to absolutely, if necessary, um, make someone a little upset with Him. This is one of those things where I'm going to get in your face type of attitude. You need someone to get in your face right now to remind you that you are a sojourner and an exile. And if you are a sojourner and an exile on this planet, on this earth, and your citizenship is in a new nation, in a new people, a chosen race, then you're going to start abstaining from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Hear hear me on this. When we begin to understand that heaven is our home and our citizenship is in heaven and we are sojourners and we are exiles here, here's the first thing that we're going to learn. Everybody with me. First thing we're going to learn is this. What we do in the flesh affects our souls. What we do in the flesh, what we do in our bodies affects our souls. The way we eat, the way we exercise, the way we live, the way we love others, the way all of the things we do in this, it affects our souls. We're told that we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh, those things that would mark us out as being people who value this world more than our real home. We need to be marked out by abstaining from those things because they wage war against our souls. It's not just that they're wrong things to do, folks. They wage war against our souls. They're absolutely killing us on the inside when they are already killed by Jesus and destroyed by Jesus. I want you to understand your 
falling prey. We're falling prey when we think the things we do don't really matter because we have heaven as our home. We've just flipped the script and messed everything up because heaven is our home. Everything we do matters. Everything we do matters. Because it all has an eternal significance. And what is that eternal significance? It goes right back to proclaiming the excellencies of him who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at verse 12. This is what he says. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Ultimately, God's glory is at stake. Ultimately, what we do in our bodies is not only going to bring glory or shame to God in his name, is also going to be a witness to those who need Christ. So in these four verses, what we have very simply is Peter telling us that your identity is so essential for you to understand that your actions will lead to God being glorified and people being saved. Once you get your identity right, once you understand your identity, your actions are going to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And those excellencies are even in your good deeds, even as you're doing those good deeds, even when people mock you for your good deeds, even when they call you evil for standing up for the truth, that in the end, people are going to come to know how great and glorious God is. Does heaven matter today? Yeah. Heaven matters today because our citizenship is wrapped up in heaven. Heaven doesn't matter if all you have is a citizenship here. If all we value is this place as home. I want you to flip over as I close today. I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. You've probably heard that before. If you haven't, it's because it it outlines people all through Scripture in the Old Testament who we might have looked at as being people who were trying to earn their righteousness. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us they all were operating by faith, that it's always been faith. It always will be faith that we're justified before God by grace through faith. It's not through our actions, but by faith. And as he walks through all of these people who honored God by faith, who walked by faith, who were justified by faith, he then stops It gives a little aside in verse 13, and I want you to see this today because I want this to mark who we are as citizens of heaven and sojourners and aliens here, or as he says, strangers and exiles on the earth. This should mark us as the people of God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. This is what he's saying. He said they did not seek their reward today, but they saw their reward from afar and greeted it from afar. And they saw the Messiah who was going to come. They saw the promise that was given and they saw the one who was going to come and make it all true and make it all real. And they didn't look for their reward today. Their reward was coming. They all died in faith. They didn't receive the things promised at that point. They didn't receive it while they were here on this earth. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They died in faith, realizing that they were strangers here. 
exiles here, sojourners here, that this was not home. Look at what else he says. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. I ask you, is it clear in your life that you are seeking a homeland other than this home? Is it clear to the people in your family and the people in your life, the people you work with, the people that are around you every day, that you are seeking a homeland that is beyond what we see here? Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone, if they had been thinking about the things they had here and the places they were leaving here, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. I ask you, do you simply desire a better America? Or are you longing for a heavenly home? That's the difference between a citizenship here and a citizenship that's in heaven. I don't have to settle for a better country because I get the best. I don't have to find joy that's fleeting here because I've got a greater joy. That's coming. And look at what is said of these people and their God. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Oh, that God would not be ashamed to call Himself our God, because we trust Him that we have a greater home, a greater nation and greater city has to come. I'll ask you simply, do you realize today that the life that says heaven is my home is the real life of faith? That my citizenship is stored up in heaven that I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm waiting for Jesus to make me new, to give me a new body. That's the life of faith. It doesn't always get the rewards today. But as we learned a couple of weeks ago, seeking the rewards now mean you lose rewards later. I ask you, are you seeking the city that's to come? Our lives will be marked by abstaining from all the things that the world says is important and instead enjoying all of the things that God has given us to enjoy because we have a greater joy that's coming. We have a greater joy. And I want you to experience it that greater joy. So as the guys come forward to take up the Lord's Supper and as we do this celebration and remembering, make it just that we're going to be playing music that's going to hopefully lead us to 